Suffering on Behalf of Others, Social Mercy. In this podcast, we discuss how our three writers, Shapira, Julian, and Attar, see suffering as a process that inspires mercy on behalf of society as a whole, even policies that work to restore victims of senseless suffering to society's embrace. Take the victims of human trafficking. They're abused, but also marginalized. Some view them with a voyeuristic compassion, which does nothing for the victim, while others view them with a compassion that moves them to help the victims lead honorable lives once again. This is social mercy, which is the work of restoring to society those whom society has inflicted with suffering, only to identify them as beyond the pale. Social mercy goes beyond individual acts. It's a story of redemption that calls society to a wholly alternative way of organizing itself as a network of salvation, structures of compassion in place of structures of exploitation. In the end, divine compassion is not only God's. Once received as fruit of suffering, it's to be shared. God's healing is for creation as a whole. Shapira and Julian, as we've discussed, enacted transcendent suffering for their peoples, helping them to see God's compassion as gift of new life to the community, even amidst hardship. At the same time, they recognized that the tale of suffering, despite the new life it offers, is destined to be repeated so long as the world resists redemption. For this reason, Shapira criticizes what he calls the secular system that fails to heal the wounds of the human spirit and soul, which are encapsulated within human bodies. In contrast, he says, the Torah way is different. Torah calls us to desire that others have blessings too. Shapira concludes, all this brings a person to feel that his life has a purpose that transcends his own small self. We see that we belong to humanity and are enabled to uproot the selfishness from our hearts and to reach up toward God together. Similarly, Julian spoke of being greatly moved in love for all. Her knowledge of divine compassion aimed to redeem society as a whole. Both Shapira and Julian served as icons of divine compassion in their own communities for people to know that evil didn't prevail over them. However, the goal is not just to comfort people in affliction, but also to invite society as a whole to a new kind of life, a world redeemed where compassion isn't a band-aid that needs to be periodically reapplied to the wounds of a broken world, but a proactive social policy restoring society to wholeness. As for the poetics of Attar, they focus so vividly on divine compassion that it's clear that Attar thinks of it as a policy for society as a whole. He speaks of compassion as something God doles out to all people, whether deserving of it or not, even infidels. He has God question those who claim to be pious but don't show compassion. Those who know God in truth don't condemn others, even society's sinners. In other words, God condemns no one, and so rulers have no grounds to turn divine wrath into a policy. Attar makes it clear that mercy is the divine attribute, which is to become policy in society. 
He illustrates the idea with the story of Sheikh Sam'an, a learned man who led a life of pious perfection. He prayed, fasted, kept all the rules, and disciples sought his learning. But he wasn't content. A dream haunted him nightly. He saw himself worshipping idols in Constantinople. Finally, he decided to respond to the dream. Upon arriving in Constantinople, he is smitten with love for a Christian girl who has him renounce his faith and break all Islam's taboos, which he does out of love for her. It seems that the great religious master has hopelessly fallen into blasphemy, but as the tale unfolds, we see that there's a point to his madness. He is now vulnerable. His religiosity is no longer one of command, but of openness to love. And yet the object of his love not only rejects, but also abuses his vulnerability, leaving him to weep tears of bewilderment and abandonment. Sheikh Sam'an's friends hear of his situation and try to rescue him. He'll have none of it. He prefers to suffer at the hands of his beloved. But in his suffering, he finds himself longing for the divine friend. Eventually, through the prayer of his friends that prompts a prophetic intercession, he is awakened to God's compassion. The suffering sequence is complete. Sheikh Saman has suffered, he has longed for divine relief, and God responds mercifully. However, the story doesn't end there. As Sheikh Saman makes his way home, the Christian girl undergoes a change of heart. Realizing the Sheikh's goodness, she goes after him to seek his forgiveness. In truth, she suffers from shame at her heinous behavior. Remarkably, the sheikh responds with compassion and ministers to her in her misery, responding to her abuse with kindness. He suffered at her hands, but moved by divine compassion, he weeps out of mercy for her. His tears restore her to God. He's no longer suffering at her hands, but now suffering on her behalf. To conclude this podcast series, our three writers, despite their diverse contexts, all see the workings of suffering in terms of a profound authority, divine compassion, which is intimately interwoven into suffering if we're attentive to it as a process that transforms a community's suffering into a force for new life. Suffering is occasion for a people to become more deeply bound into life with God, implying that our emotions are home to divine activity. Suffering is a sign that God is with us, not against us, despite the world's claims. It thus reveals God's love, and we are to respond to it by reaching out in service of those who have been caught in webs of exploitation and marginalization. We might bring comfort to individuals, but ultimately, we're called to see that society as a whole is wounded. In the end, suffering is to inspire a compassion that goes beyond feeling sorry for society's victims. If redemption is real, it is to be a force that reconstitutes the way a society governs itself as a whole, its structures included.